good place to be for encouragement. Bible said we should bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So people come in, sometimes they burden, discouraged. They look around for needs when you come in. We are Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke chapter 17 in your Bibles. Luke 17. We left off last week where Jesus warned against offenses, stumbling blocks, putting stumbling blocks in another person's way. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to those through him whom they come. But it would be better for him to have a millstone who hung around his neck, and he would be thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. One of these little ones referred to only the new believers, the new disciples in Christ, to stumble a new believer that might be uh, stumbled by your freedom. You're free, you mature, you're able to discern a new believer he's not. So we want to not put anything in his way that will stumble him. He says, take heed, verse three, yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. And if, and if he sins, you, you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you and say, I repent, you shall forgive me. It's easier said than done for most people. I know uh, out of 40 years of ministry now, I know that it's hard for some people to forgive. I know that. I know some personally. Uh, I know all of us have been hurt by somebody. I know that. Uh, if not, you will be. So you want to forgive quickly. You don't want to carry that around. Uh, because if you do, it's going to lead to bitterness. And I, I've talked to people who are bitter because they were, they were unwilling to forgive in the first place. And anything can trigger it. Because it's so deep-rooted, that bitterness is so deep-rooted that anything can, can, can trigger it. And a bitter, a bitter person, a bitter person is a very unhappy person. He has no peace. He has no joy. You just can't leave and go to another church because wherever you go, you're going to take you with you. You can't run from yourself. So unforgiveness is a terrible thing. You should be ready to forgive others because one day you're going to need to be forgiven by somebody yourself. Our obedience in forgiving others shows that we are trusting God to take care of the consequences. You are trusting God to take care of the consequences to handle the possible misunderstandings. And you are trusting God to work out for, for his good. He's going to work it out. Sometimes it's painful to forgive, yes, someone who has sinned against us. But we must obey the word of God and not our feelings. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're walking by feelings. And we're walking by faith and not by feelings. So when it comes to times that uh, sometimes I preach on things and God will put a situation in my life where these scriptures come to mind and see if I'm going to obey them or not. But see, when I talk to you, I'm talking to me too. Maybe I'm talking to me more. I don't know. But I, I preach on things and the very next day it seems like, boom, I just preached on that. Now this very thing I preached on is happening to me. So I also got to practice what I preach. So you want to be, so verse five, 
disciples said, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. To truly forgive others over and over again requires faith that God will correct the offender and protect the offended. The only way we can be a forgiven person is if our faith is increased. The disciples' request was genuine. They wanted the faith necessary for such radical forgiveness. They knew they needed help to do that. And you're gonna need help of the Holy Spirit to do that too, because many times we want to retaliate. We want to get even. We want to get back. The Bible said we should forgive from the heart. Don't just say it. When in your heart you know that you haven't forgiven the person. They felt incapable of measuring up to these standards set forth in verses one through four. They felt incapable capable, they wanted greater faith to lay hold of the power to live up to Jesus' standard. They felt inadequate. To forgive a person seven times, wait a minute, I might forgive you once or twice, but seven times, holy. You know, how our flesh want to get in the way. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you know what I mean? So the Lord says, verse 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith in the mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree and be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. A mustard seed is a, is a small, but a, it's alive. That seed is alive. It's alive and it's growing. That mustard seed is so small, it's almost invisible at first. But the seed will begin to grow and spread, first under the ground. It'll spread under the ground and then it becomes visible. It becomes visible. Like a tiny, like a tiny mustard seed, a small amount of genuine faith, a small amount of genuine faith in God will take root and grow. A small amount of genuine faith in God will take root and grow. The question is, what are you doing with the little faith that you got? What are you doing with the little faith that you have? What are you doing with what you got? A mulberry tree, say you can tell that mulberry tree to get up in the, by the roots and just go. A mulberry tree was a very large tree. It was a very stout tree. It was known for its longevity and it was known for its deep roots. A mulberry tree were thought of as being extremely strong. It was, it was thought that the tree could stay rooted for 600 years. He said, if you have faith in the mustard seed, you could tell that mulberry tree to get up and it will get up and go. But it was very strong. It was making, it, it was virtually impossible to be uprooted. Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it will get. Because faith without a word, James said, what is dead? I don't know how much faith you got. I can tell by what you do, how much faith you got. For uh, Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Spurgeon said that. Verse seven, and what if you have a, a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he think that servant, because he did these things, was more 
uh, commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, saying, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. The story in the servant, the servant in this story was eventually, he was a jack of all trades, but he was responsible for farming and he was responsible for shepherding and cooking. If a common servant is faithful to obey the orders of his master who does not reward him, how much more should we be obedient, obedient to our master who will one day reward us? God has promised to reward his people. We don't deserve it, but he has promised reward to his people. A faithful servant should not expect anything special since he did only what he was told to do. The word translated unprofitable means without need. That, that is, nobody owes us anything. The servant was indeed profitable after all, he cared for the master's field, he cared for the flock and food, but the master's statement meant, his statement meant, my master does not owe me anything extra. If I do what he told me to do, he don't owe me anything extra. The fact that Jesus will reward his servants is wholly a matter of God's grace. The fact that Jesus will reward us is totally of his grace. We do not deserve anything because we have obeyed him and we have served him and we have done exactly what he told us to do. So he don't owe us anything, really. But we owe him everything. What then is the proper attitude for Christian service? Doing the will of God from the heart. If we love, if we, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. To a person who is born again, his commandments is not grievous, 1 John 5, 3. Serving him is a delight. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ is a delight, it's not a duty. And we obey him because he loved us. I delight to do thy will, O God. The law is within my heart, Psalm 40, verse 8. Even the rewards we get from the Lord, I uh, uh, from, his, uh, from his grace. He does not owe us. It is our duty. We deserve no rewards. It is strictly unmerited favor. When we serve God, we are not doing it for a favor. We're not doing it for a favor. For we owe all to him. And he deserves far less than he gives. We are unprofitable servant because I have done so much more for him. I, I, he has done so much for me that I can ever do for him. So we are to serve with gratitude. If we have obeyed God, we have done only our duty and we should regard it as a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to serve him. What you do now is gonna count there. What you do here is gonna count in heaven. What you do now with this life is going to count throughout eternity. Because this life is only temporary, but the other life is eternal. That's why the Bible said we should fix our eyes on things above and not things on this earth. Man, you just passing through. James said your life is just like a vapor. You're here for a short time and boom, you're gone. Use it wisely. You go this way once. 
You go this way one time and you cannot back up and say, I would, I should have, could have, would You, What you're going to do for Christ, you better do it now. Sometimes feel, do you sometimes feel that you, you deserve extra because you're serving God? Remember, obedience is not something extra we do. It is our duty. Jesus is not suggesting that our service on this earth is meaningless or useless, nor is he advocating doing away with rewards, but he is attacking the unwanted self-esteem and spiritual pride. Christians should acknowledge that God owes them nothing and that they owe him everything, even their very lives. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. A servant should not expect to be praised for doing his job. Wow. Verse 11, the 10 lepers, you know about this story. 10 of them. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, which was the longest route. A, a Jew didn't want to come near Samaria, so they would take a long way around to, to keep from coming in contact with him. Then as he entered, verse 12, a certain village that met him, 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. They met him. They were in the, in the way, they were in his path as he was entering the village. They knew they couldn't go into the village because they were contagious, but they met him on the way. They were not to enter the village while they were af afflicted with leprosy. Leviticus 13, 46. Now Jesus was still on the way to Jerusalem and his journey took him along the borders of Samaria Samaria and Galilee, where he met 10 lepers who were lepers, the outcasts, they were the outcasts and, and they lived and they traveled together because they were, they were rejected by society. No one wanted to be around a leper. They were rejected, they were outcasts. They would travel in groups because they needed encouragement from one another because they couldn't be around people. They stood afar off. He went that way, he went down that road to find these 10 lepers and to cure them. And John 4 says, you know the woman at the well, he said, he need to go through Samaria to meet this woman. Well, the lepers stood afar off. They kept at a distance because it was forbidden by law to come near other people for fear of infecting them because the leprosy was incurable. Leprosy was contagious. People who had leprosy were required to announce their presence. If they came near people, they had to announce their presence. Leviticus 13, when they came, they had to announce their presence even before they came near people because they was contagious and they knew their disease would infect others. And when they got close to people, they had to say, unclean, unclean, I'm coming through, unclean. Unclean, coming through. Lonely life, incurable disease. Separated from society and friends and family. No one wanted to have anything to do with a leper. They would cry. 
Well, they stood it for Couldn't come close. They had to keep the distance, verse 13. And they lifted, they, they lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Woo. Since they couldn't come near the people, they had to shout from a distance. They had to shout to make themselves heard. They had no doubt heard about the wonderful things that Jesus could do. They heard the many wonderful things that he could do and he was now standing not far from them. He was, he was standing not far from them and they asked for mercy. For the first time in their life, they have hope. Do you know that Jesus can give you hope? Do you know that? A person that don't have Christ has no hope. He has no hope. No wonder the world is going to hell in a handbasket because the world has no hope. The world is searching for hope. These lepers had no hope. They knew that Jesus was totally in command of even the disease that they had, and they trusted him to help them. Verse 14, so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so as it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Only the priest could declare them cleansed. Leviticus 14, Leviticus 13, only the priest could declare them clean. He commanded them to go and show themselves to the priest, which in itself was an act of faith, for they had not been cured yet. They had not been cured yet. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. When they turned to obey, when they obeyed, then they were completely healed. For their obedience was evidence of their faith. Oh yeah, faith can be seen, man. Not with the physical eyes. Not with the physical eyes, but it can be seen by what you do. Because faith without works is what? Dead. It made no sense to them at all. He says, man, I know you're not healed. I know you got leprosy, but go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. God tells us to do something tell us to do things many times that makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all, even to you, and Lord knows don't tell anybody else. Please. They're going to think you of your rocker. So a lot of things, when God speaks to you, maybe you ought to just keep it to yourself. I'm just saying, you know. Didn't make any sense to them at all. Sometimes God tells us to do things that make any sense. If you want encouragement, if God tells you to do something, get around some encouraging people and not discouraging people because discouraging people can talk you out of your dream. That's why they couldn't enter the promised land. Oh, there's giants in the land, man. We like grasshoppers. We can't do that. With God, all things are possible. God is not looking for perfection. He wouldn't have anybody. God is looking for obedience. When they obeyed, they saw the miracle, and not before. Sometimes we got to start moving, man, before God can direct us. We got to start moving. Get up, what's on your heart, and start moving. They said you can direct a car as long as it's moving. But when that car is sitting still, it's very hard to direct it. It's very hard to turn. When you get up and start moving, you know how I got called into ministry in 19, 
What was it? I don't know, 40 years, that's, I, I forgot. It don't make no difference. You know, people think, you know, you've been preaching a long time, but man, you, you know, I'm more dependent on God now than ever. I'm more dependent on God now than ever. Because I think ministry has changed over the years. People, and, and uh, God don't have, does not have to work the same way all the time. Now, Chuck Smith used to say, blessed are the flexible. If you're flexible, you can go with what the Holy Spirit, you're not just set in your ways and say, well, this is the way it's been for the last 40 years, so uh, that's the way it's going to be for the next 40 years. No. When you start moving, God starts moving. It's remarkable, it's remarkable that Jesus asked him to go to himself to the priest while they still had leprosy. They could have argued with him and said, we're not going, we're not even healed yet. We're not going to go show ourselves to that priest and not even healed. Hmm. We're not going to do it. But they went. The Bible said, as they went, they were healed. God speaks to you and he tells you to go. He don't give you all the information at once. He gives you a step at a time. When you take the first step, he'll give you the second, and he'll give you the third, and he'll give you the fourth. But if you don't take that first step, you will never know because you got that step out to find out. You'll never know. I know some great Bible teachers still, they don't want to teach. They don't even teach at all. I say, what's wrong with you, man? You can teach, you're a great teacher. Oh, I'm still waiting on God. No, God is waiting on you. Everybody's waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. It was truly a step of faith. The only condition of healing for those lepers were obedience. Faith is proven, faith is proven by obedience. For it's far better to obey than to sacrifice. If they had not obeyed, they would not have been healed. They acted strictly on God's word. Faith is believing, is, is believing what God said and acting on it. For faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder to those that diligently seek him. So he said, go show yourself to the priest. As he went, they were cleansed. Is your faith in God so strong that you act on what he says even before you see the evidence? God told me to come to Tacoma in 1982. I said, I ain't going. Well, don't never say never. You don't never tell God never because you might end up doing the exact thing he told you to do. I said, I'm not going. Everybody ready to go for me. I stood three years in there because I knew it'd be rough. And I said, no. And my life was absolutely miserable until I obeyed. When God tells you to do something, it's like the Holy Spirit won't give you peace. It won't give you peace until you obey. Is your faith in God so strong that you act on what he's told you to do? Maybe you can only see a little glimpse right now. But if you act on that little faith that he gives you, it will lead to open doors, bigger doors. 
What are these, and, you know, it was tender, verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God. This guy came back there screaming with a loud voice and glorified God. When he saw that he was healed, instead of going forward to the priest, he said, wait, before I go to that priest, I'm going back and thank God for what he did even before I go to the priest. Because he knew that God had healed him and not the priest. It seems that he did not want to go first to the priest, but he just, man, I, I just got to go back and thank God. And he fell down on his, on his face and his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. The other one was Jews. They all should have come back. All 10 should have come back and given thanks to God because this was an incurable, deadly disease. They all asked for mercy, and God gave them all mercy, and they all should have, and they all should have came back, but only one came. And the Bible said this guy was a Samaritan. It, it is possible to receive God's gift. It is a, it's possible to receive God's great gifts and still be ungrateful. Only one came back, one. It is impossible. To have an ungrateful spirit is, is terrible. Nine out of 10 had an ungrateful spirit. The one was a Samaritan and he was despised by the Jews. He was a half-breed. The Jews and the Samaritans would not normally live together, but since they were lepers, they banded together because they wanted to uh, encourage each other. They needed each other's company because no one else wanted to hang around them. He fell at his feet, he put himself in the most humble, reverent posture he could, and he gave thanks. So Jesus, verse 17, said, were there not 10 plants? Well, where are the nine? The account continues by referring to the nine ungrateful. Where's the nine ungrateful? Wasn't there 10 of them? I know there was 10, but where's the, where's the other nine at? Why didn't they come back? Christ does good even to those who are ungrateful. Wow. Were they not found any return to give glory to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? He was a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel. The only one that came back to give glory to God was a Samaritan. You would have expected all 10 to come to Jesus and say thank you because Jesus gave them a new life. When you come to Jesus, you have a new life. You can start over. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You can start over. That's what's so good about Christ. No matter what you've done, man, you, you can start over. You can repent and go back and start over. He gave these people a new life, a new start, but only one gave thanks. This man who might have been least expected to return, he returned. And Jesus said, arise, go your, your way, your faith has made you whole. That means your faith has saved you. This one leper was healed physically as well as spiritually Unlike the nine who were only half healed, they were healed physically, 
but they were spiritually still sick. This Samaritan got more than he asked for. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. He was a leper. Not all who receive physical healing receive spiritual healing. Jesus used this event to teach a lesson about gratitude. Boy, we got to learn to be thankful. I think a lot of us need to learn to be more thankful today about gratitude. Before, but before we judge him too harshly, what is your gratitude like? How, how, when God answers your prayers, how many times when God answers your prayer, if you prayed for something, how many times do you go back and say thanks? How many times? How often do we take our blessings for granted? We should praise him for his goodness, his gifts. Too often we are content to enjoy the gift, but we forget the giver. We are quick to pray, but very slow to show praise. Then let them go. Jesus healed the person. He could be restored to society. He could be restored to his family. He could mingle with the crowd. Leprosy serves as an illustration of sin. We all had leprosy. We all had sin. As renewed sinners, our hearts should overflow with gratitude. I might not be where I ought to be, but I sure ain't where I was, I can tell you that much. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, when the priest, uh, uh, one, this guy beat up, lay inside the road, the priest, the priest came by, looked at him and kept walking, and uh, the Samaritan, the Levite, he came by and looked at him and kept walking. The only one came back was the Samaritan. The one that shouldn't have came back, came back. That's, that's going to be like that. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? I tell my wife sometimes, I say, you know, we don't have anything to complain about. Because I tell her, you know, I was in the store yesterday. She said, look at the price of this stuff. <laughs> I said, yeah, you got to get it. You got to buy it. Thank God you got the money to buy it. Well, Let's be thankful, people. Let me move on. Verse 20. Now, when he had asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God did not come with observation. They were looking for an earthly kingdom that would overthrow Rome. The Pharisees' question was legitimate, but it was also tragic. For Jesus had been ministering among these guys for three years, and these men were still in spiritual darkness, and they were Pharisees. They were in spiritual darkness. They did not understand who Jesus was or what he was speaking or what he was seeking to accomplish. Their views of the kingdom were political, not spiritual. Jesus did not deny that there would be a future earthly kingdom, but he did emphasize the importance of a spiritual kingdom. When you, when you, come, when you become born again, when you become born again, you enter a spiritual kingdom. The fact that I am here in your midst, Jesus said, 
is very important. I am king. He was right there in their midst. The kingdom, he said in verse 21, now will they say, see here, or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of God is in your midst. I'm the one the prophet prophesied about, but they didn't recognize this, their Messiah. He said the kingdom of God is among you, which is a very poor translation. What it means, the kingdom of God is in your midst and you guys don't even recognize it. I'm the one that the prophets prophesied about. I'm standing right here in front of you and you don't even see it. Then he said to the disciple, there will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look, look there. Do not go after them or follow them. Don't follow, in other words, don't follow false prophets. You studied to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Man, you got to know that word, man. I can't read your word for you. You better stay in that scripture. You better stay in prayer. So when you see these false people, false prophets, you'll be able to tell. He said in verse 3, I said to you, look here, look there. Christ forewarns us that false prophets would come and would give all kinds of predictions. I was reading about that guy, Jim Jones, you know, a, a false prophet. All them people died. I said, man, David Koresh and all them people followed him and those people led to their death. Don't ever follow a man, ever. The only one you follow is Christ. You don't follow no man. A man is imperfect. He is coming. He will affect the world. False prophets said, look here, look there. He is coming to sudden. The world will see him when he comes. Verse 24 says, it's a lightning that flashes out of, out of one part under these shines to, to the other part under heaven. So also the Son of Man will be in his day when he comes, the second coming. He said, just like the lightning, the whole world will see him. He will be visible when he comes. Don't say, go over here and go over there. He's over here. He said, don't go for them people. Don't do that. He said, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. The whole world will see him when his second coming. It will be bright. It will be unmistakable. It will be sudden as the lightning shines across the sky at night. He says the whole world will see him when he comes. It will be sudden and it will be unexpected. Revelation 1, 7, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye will see him. Everybody's going to see him. Verse 25, but first we must, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the generation. He was rejected by their generation and he's still rejected by this generation. The human heart has not changed. He was rejected then, he's rejected now. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. Because we have turned our back on God and look at us, look at the mess. 
Nobody's asking God for help. Nobody's saying, help us. We need help. We need to repent and come back to you. No one is saying that. Everybody's divided. Jesus said, a house divided against itself won't stand. A country divided against itself won't stand. The Republicans fighting against the Democrats. Nothing divided will stand. I don't care if it's a church or a business or an organization or a marriage. I don't care what it is. If it's divided, it's not going to stand. He's, yeah, Jesus said, verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by the generation. You know, if you're going to reject anybody, why, why would you want to reject Jesus? I mean, he, he's here to help you and forgive you of your sins, take you to heaven, free. It won't cost you nothing. He paid it all on the cross. To reject him is very serious. But he said he cannot come until he finishes his work on earth. He could not skip the cross. He must die on the cross for our sins to redeem us, to help us. Verse 26, as, as it was in Noah's day, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. The world will be taken by surprise as it was in Noah's day. There will be sudden judgment of God. There will also, and therefore the faithful ought to be continually watching for his coming. As it was in Noah's day. In other words, it's just going to be business as usual. 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given marriage, they were having weddings. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, and they bought, and they bought and sold, and they planted, and they built. Oh, they were very prosperous. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Genesis 19, you know about Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened, you know. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. At his second coming, many will pe people will be married and given in marriage. They're going to be prosperous. They're going to feel very secure. But they're going to be very unprepared. It's going to be business as usual when he comes again because the human heart has not changed. Lawlessness, Genesis 6, had increased as we see today. He said the same signs as it was in Noah's day, it's going to be the same thing when I come again. And we see right now that crime and we see that lawlessness is on the increase. You see that crime is on the increase. Man, you got so many people buying guns now until every gun shop in Tacoma is sold out. Sold out. People say, well, the police can't come. I'm going to protect myself because they see crime is increasing. You see it. My wife said, did you hear that gunshot? I said, yeah, I heard it. I hear them every day. As long as they ain't shooting at me, as long as they don't come inside my house, yeah, I hear gunshots all the time. I mean, I've heard them for 40 years, so but I hear one now, I go, well, okay, it's another gunshot. Lawlessness is going to increase in the last days. Violence, you see that today, as it was in Noah's day. He said in verse 31, in that day, he was on the housetop, and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. It's a warning against malingering. 
When God burned down Sodom and Gomorrah, a lot of folks didn't want to leave. Like what? They didn't want to go. He said in verse 32, remember Lot's wife? You know what happened to her, right? Nobody's taking part in the rapture got to worry about this. Now, when you go in the rapture, you ain't got to worry about facing all this stuff, but he said, when you don't go back in the housetop, don't go back in the housetop and try to get your stuff, your material things. Remember last wife, she became a pillar of salt, Genesis 19. She was to leave there in urgency, but out of curiosity, out of covetousness, she looked back and she was attracted to the world because her heart was still in the world. In spite of the angel's warning, she looked back. She delayed. She desired to seek, maybe to take something with her uh, to retrieve some material things. And she turned into a pillow of salt. Don't look back. Are you a believer today? Don't look back, man. Don't look back. Because Satan's going to remind you of your past. Now, you not know that. I know it. But you know that all this stuff been forgiven, man. You came to Christ, you've been forgiven. Don't worry about that. I told the lady, don't look back. What's she going to do? She's going to look back anyway. Why are we like that? Why would God tell us to do something? We do it anyway. We just want to see. Maybe she was curious to look back there and see, well, what's going on over there? He told you don't look back. Did you hear? Well, pure us off. Judgment. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Those who invest their lives in advancing the kingdom of God, verse 33, those who invest their lives in advancing God's kingdom will last forever. Will last forever. Because naked you came into this world and naked you will leave. You brought nothing into this world and you will not take nothing out. Everything you own, you got to leave it. It's going to burn. Invest in God's kingdom, which will last throughout eternity. Hmm. I tell you, verse 34, that in that night there will be two men in the bed, one will be taken, one will be left.